Have you ever wondered what it feels like to have a story burn inside of you? To be driven by a head-banging compulsion to make every word, sentence, and paragraph authentic? Or experience the magic that happens when the imaginary people in your head become real to other people? I have. I'm Maddie Margarita, and this is Character Floss, a deep dive into the psyches of compelling characters and the authors who create them. Today, I'm incredibly proud to welcome a very special guest. D.P. Lyle is the award-winning author of both nonfiction and fiction, including the Samantha Cody, Deb Walker, Jake Longley, and his latest, the Kane Harper series. He also hosts two podcasts. Is that right? Criminal Mischief, The Art and Science of Crime Fiction, and The Crime Fiction Writer's Blog. Is that correct, Doug? Or are you doing uh, both of those right now? One of the podcasts, one of them is the blog, but yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, and you practice medicine. Yeah. I oh, yeah. That. In your spare time. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Obviously, you're a busy guy. So let's, I'm a little intimidated since you have your own blog. So I'm going to try and sound smarter than I normally do. <laughs> so, you are smarter. <laughs> well, well, th- well, thank you, Doug. <laughs> and you're also a gentleman. All right. So um, let's kick this off with a fan question. Somebody sent me a question when I told them I was talking to you. And it said, rumor has it, you might be harnessing that honey bourbon voice of yours to record some of your own books. Is that true? It is true, honey bourbon. I like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any good bourbon works. I, uh, I've already recorded uh, Sunshine State, and it'll be coming online soon. They're going through you know, all the processing right now. And that was the third Jake Longley book and the fourth Jake Longley book's coming out in May. It's titled Rigged and I'm getting ready to start recording it. And then I'm going to go do the first Kane Harper book, uh, Skin in the Game, uh, and I'll record that. So I have three books that I'll be recording. So people are going to have to put up with my ramblings. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think people live for that, Doug. So how was that experience? Was it what you expected or was it different? Yeah, it's interesting. The main thing that you have to do, because you can do it with your computer with a headphone and all that. I mean, you know, the technology now is just phenomenal, but you have to keep your pace down. You have to slow down. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're reading in a group and you're reading stuff, you tend to speed up, but you really can't do that when you're recording the book. You got to tell yourself, okay, pace yourself, go slow, say each word. And one of the problems I have, my, my writing group gives me grief all the time, is that I always edit while I'm reading. And I'll change words or I'll even turn sentences around just while I'm reading because that's what it looks like to me and feels like to me when I'm reading it out loud. And then they'll say, well, you read it this way, and I like that better or something. Right. So you have to really be careful, obviously, when you're reading a, an audio book. It's got to be exactly like the book. Yeah. Do you hear a metronome in your head? How do you do that? I mean, do you? No, you just, just sit, there practice, read, huh? sit there and read the words and, and yeah. you try to add a little inflection, but don't get too carried away and goofy with it. And, uh, you know, just read the book like you were reading it to a friend. Uh, I, that To me, that's the best way. Don't get too theatrical. Yeah. So, <laughs> so does your voice change when you read Pancake? I don't think so. Okay. I don't, think, I don't think I'm smart enough to do that. He's, he's, <laughs> he's kind of one of my favorite characters. Does doing this help you understand your characters better? I mean, do you really feel like you have to get more in their head to be their voice? Or are I they? Think, yeah, I think so. And while I'm reading it, sometimes, you know, I get a feeling for the story that I didn't have before. Because oh, you're sitting there reading, and it's actually 
the first time really that you have read the entire thing out loud. And you know the difference between reading in your head and reading out loud night and day. Yeah. You know, I always tell students, you know, you, first of all, you got to print it out. You can't read it off the computer. And then you got to read it out loud because it sounds different. The, the, the rhythm and the flow and everything's different. I mean, you may do that in sections. You may do that, you know, have a scene that doesn't work right. You may read it out loud, but I don't read everything out loud. But I do at least once print everything out and read the book on paper because it looks and feels different. And you make a lot of edits on paper and then go back and put them in the computer. But reading these books from beginning to end so that the entire story flows, you've never really done that when you wrote the book uh, without at least editing something along the way. Even right. the final read-through, you end up editing 30 things. Right. Maybe a word, maybe a phrase, but you end up editing it. Uh, and this, you can't do it. So, interesting. Well, you know, it's funny. We had, I was listening to Jason Samuel Culp. He's uh, Robert Culp's son, yeah. uh, who's a uh, narrator, book narrator. And he was reading something that was fiction or nonfiction. And it was kind of a dry paragraph. But when he read it, I was like, I think I could listen to that. <laughs> but I'm not sure that I would have read that without the inflection and without him adding that. So, yep. and I never realized it before that an audiobook is a different product, a regular from a printed book. It totally it, different. Yeah, it has somebody else's personality and interpretation in it. So it, it's totally different. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. In and a narrator who didn't write the book will obviously have a different feel and a different read for it than the author who did write the book. And, you know, that can be very good and that can be a little off-putting. It can be anywhere in between. Yeah. Well, you know, it made me want to go out and buy audiobooks. So I guess we'll have to go out and buy. I have Sunshine State in print. I guess I'll have to go out and now buy the audiobook. That gives you something to do while you're tooling around the freeway. Yeah, yeah you're, you're right. Sitting in traffic. Exactly. <laughs> right. So, we're, you know, the podcast is all about characters. So, <laughs> which is why you're here, because you are a character yourself. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's right. So, which, of, yeah. which, <laughs> which of all the characters that you've written is your favorite? Ooh, boy, that's tough. Because I like them all, you know. So Sam Cody, obviously, that was the first books I wrote, and I love Samantha. She's just near and dear. But I think probably Jake Longley and Nicole in the Longley series, and then Bobby Kane and Harper McCoy in the Kane Harper series. Those dynamic, those two characters and their dynamics together, which are totally different. I really, really, really enjoy them, and I enjoy writing them. I think since none of those characters are obviously. <laughs> Those voices are not listening to you in your head right now. One of my favorite characters that you wrote was Billy Wayne Baker. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> talk a little bit about writing him as an antagonist in, that was Sunshine State, right? That he yeah, was in? That was, yeah, that was Sunshine State. And basically, Jake and Nicole and, and, and you know, Jake's dad's the PI and Pancake, you know, they're the PI guys. They get hired by a benefactor of a guy named Billy Wayne Baker, who's in Rayford Prison in northern northern uh, Florida. And he's there for seven murders that he confessed to and his DNA was found at all of them. And that so he's a serial killer. And he, he, he his reign of terror was over a couple of years in, in little small towns in north, northwest Florida. So, but Billy Wayne says that he didn't do two of them, and he wants mm. them to prove that he didn't do two of them. Now, he won't tell anybody which two. 
Because he says, well, if I guide your investigation, people aren't going to believe it. But if I don't say a word and you go out there and stumble on it and figure it out and flap around and figure it out on your own, then all I got to do is nod my head and say, yeah, that's what happened. Now, Billy Wayne is a, was a very fascinating character to write because I didn't want to minimize the fact that he was, well, a brutal serial killer. You know, he raped and murdered you know, seven people. But at the same time, he was a very intelligent, but very passive, very soft guy. He had baby fat face. He had small hands, Jake noticed. And he just didn't seem the serial killer type. And he was very soft-spoken and very quiet. And I just liked that dynamic, and I liked that, the dichotomy of who he was, that when you meet him, he's not who you pictured him to be. But serial killers are that way. Ted Bundy seemed like a nice guy. Well, <laughs> he was a vicious, vicious guy. But he was know, probably one of the worst, right? Uh, he, uh, he's... Ted's the poster child. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so you've had a lot of psych training and done a, probably a lot of research and probably met your fair share of psychopaths and thriller <laughs> fest doesn't count. So in your opinion, how close do you think the average person is at any time to becoming a killer? <laughs> well, we batter that around a lot. I think anyone anyone can kill anyone. I don't think it's beyond any human. And uh, obviously there's self-defense. So there's to protect your child or, or your cat or whatever. People will do things to protect things. But beyond that, people will do things to protect their self-image, for instance. If they see themselves in a certain way and something is going to jeopardize that and one person's in the way, the solution may be to get rid of that one person. If you commit a crime that's really not that bad, but bad, you know, like embezzling, and now it's going to come down on your head and your life is going to be over and your, your wife and your children and your friends will never look at you the same way ever again, plus you'll be in prison, but you can get rid of one person and make all that disappear. That is a very powerful motive for people to do stupid things. And if you go back and look through the cases of the murders, you know, there's so many every year, there's often very ridiculous reasons for an outsider to look at and say, are you kidding me? <laughs> but to the person who did it, it made sense. You always have to remember, mm -hmm. and you're well aware of this, is that the antagonist is the hero of their own story. And I think writers should remember that. Remember they are the heroes of their own story. They have their own agendas. They have their own likes and dislikes and wants and fears and all that stuff. And they have a problem that they're trying to solve. And to them, it makes perfect sense. It may not to an outsider. And of course, to the protagonist who's got to unravel the crime and prove it, it really doesn't make sense. But it does to the bad guy. So, yeah, I think anybody can be put in a situation where they would off somebody else. Do you think people are closer to that than they think? Uh, you know, I don't know. Everybody because does. Everybody I, does I've been in traffic. Island, and, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but probably. I think most people don't think about it because, mm -hmm. fortunately, most people don't put themselves in a situation like that. Most of us live pretty mundane lives. But you can see if you said, oh, what if, what if this happened? What if that happened? What would I do? How would I get out of this? What if I did this stupid thing? Then what do I do next? You can't just apologize. 
(laughs) You can't just ignore it and walk away. I got to fix this problem. It's too late to apologize. It's too late not to do it. Okay. So we're at that point now where we've made the decision to kill somebody. Yeah. Now, what is how you decide to kill somebody say about you? Oh, it says a lot. Obviously, hands-on is more I know this is your thing, so. Yeah, the hands-on is more personal. If you're going to stab or strangle someone, I mean, that's personal. You know, you can get in a knife fight, and that's not all that personal. That's just, you know, two guys boxing with knives. But if you're going to stab somebody to death, you know, sneak in their house and stab them to death or strangle them, that is very personal. And then, of course, when it gets to be overkill, where they do it 50 times, The police look for those clues because that means this was not just a random act. This is someone who had issue. So that says something. Oh, gun, obviously. Men tend to use guns more than women, they say. Men use knives more than women. Women use poisons more often, I think. That may be changing, but that's always been the dogma. But guns are a little more impersonal. You can be a long way away. And people often ask, what's the perfect murder? Well, it's simple. A sniper. You shoot somebody from 300 yards away. The only evidence you've left is one bullet. That's it. If you get lucky and don't get seen, a scene doing it, some citizen doesn't stumble on it while you're doing it, and you get away clean, you've left one piece of evidence. And without the weapon, which, of course, you're going to destroy, they have no way of connecting that really back to you. No way. Non-zero. So... The problem is you got to do it to someone you don't know, you have no relationship, and do it one time and one time only. Well, who would do that, and why would they do that? That makes right. no sense. There's no motive there. Right. Obviously, Most none of our listeners, no, hopefully. No. Most snipers, you know, have an agenda. <laughs> right. You know, they're making right. a political statement or a social statement or they're angry. Right. At For the, hire, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So they, they, that's different. So they do it over and over again, and that's how they get caught. So, so how about these people that, um, I know this is, this, I don't know why I'm so interested in this, but these <laughs> people that, twisted. I, well, that's true. <laughs> these people that set out not to just kill somebody, but they do it over like a long period of time. Like you read about these people who oh, are yeah. gradually poisoning people around them, that kind of thing, or gaslighting people and driving them. Is that more than about just killing them? Or is that oh, just yeah, the that, way? Yeah. That, that's power and control, and they get off on other people's fear and pain and, and all of that kind of stuff. And there's some people who have that in their psyche. I mean, one of the classic examples was uh, uh, BTK. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. You know, yeah, he, he was just vicious, but he would break into a house and, and, uh, take the whole family and tie them up, or if it's just a single person and tie them up, he would suffocate them with a plastic bag almost <laughs> to the point of death over and over and over again before mm-hmm. he, he would spend hours with them. That's a whole lo- another level of psychopathology that is really hard to get your head around that, that someone could actually do that. But you know, you, they torture other people, they torture children, they torture animals. It's it's crazy, but they're out there. So there is a difference. There's a distinction oh, yeah. between there's a psychopath a, and a killer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, it's kind of like you have to be crazy to do that, but you're not crazy, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, uh, at least not in the legal de- definition. But yeah, I, like I said, people will murder someone for their self-image or to protect an, a lie, to protect another crime. All this stuff. There's a lot of reasons that people would do that. That's a whole different animal than than a psychopath who likes to torture people, capture people, strangle them, sexually abuse them, 
you know, Charles Ng was a guy here in California. Oh, what was his partner's name? His partner committed suicide. But they captured people and took them to a torture chamber and videoed all this stuff and would keep them for days before they would kill them. And they did this over and over again. And when they finally got caught, his partner killed himself. I think he took cyanide in jail uh, somehow got it. And he went to trial. He fled to Canada and they brought him back. But these two guys were a team of true, true, true sociopaths. Mm-hmm. So yeah. interesting. Yeah. You know? So uh, speaking about psychopaths and killers, let's, let's talk about skin in the game. <laughs> yeah. So what motivated you to take such a sharp, dark turn south from Sunshine State to write <laughs> Skin in the Game? Well, if you go back to the, the Dub Walker series, they're darker stories. Yeah, right. uh, the Sam stories have more woo-woo in them. There's always a little metaphysical, did this really happen? And I like that part of that. But Jake Longley is comedic, and it's funny, and it's light, and there's a lot of happenstance and a lot of serendipity and a lot of really situational comedy in it. And so even though it always deals with serious stuff, there's always murders and bad guys and stuff like that, it's not dealt with in a deeply forensic, psychopathological way. <laughs> it's lighter. So It's like story, that with a little tequila or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. this story's been in my head for a long time, and I finally decided that these two characters were the characters that should tell the story. And I'd been fascinated with these uh, characters like the uh, Kane and Harper. Uh, for many years and probably since childhood. But um, so the marriage of those two characters and that dark story just seemed to make sense to me. And and I really enjoyed writing it. So I've, I wrote that and then I wrote the, the next Jake book. And now I've just finished the next Kane Harper book for next October. And I'm working on the next. Okay, I'm exhausted. <laughs> the next okay. Jake book, which will be in May of 2021. So uh, you know, I go so, backwards and forth between the two, and I find it kind of cleans the pipes. You're not, you don't get stale because they're two entirely different storytelling methods. Yeah, it was so interesting. Now, well, let's talk more about Skin in the Game. Can you talk a little bit about the storyline in that book? And then we'll talk a little bit about Harper and Bobby. Yeah, uh, well, basically, the storyline is Kane and Harper, who are now fixers, and they have a backstory that allows them to do that. They can now fix the unfixable, as it were, and they have a special set of skills, as they say now. Uh, and they're hired by this retired Air Force general uh, up near Nashville, Tennessee, which is where they live, in a little place called Leaper's Fork that everybody should go to once in their life, close to Franklin. Cool little place. We'll put but, that on TripAdvisor, but go ahead. Yeah, yeah, but he hires them to find his uh, granddaughter who has gone missing from Vanderbilt University. She's a co-ed there mm-hmm. and on the cross-country team and all that stuff, and she goes missing. Well, she didn't just really go missing. I mean, there's a lot more to it than that. It turns out she was involved in some extracurricular activity to make money. I'll leave it at that. And she ended mm-hmm. up wrong place, wrong time and getting in trouble. So Kane and Harper have to figure out how to find her and save her if they can and figure out who did what to whom, when, where, and why. And it becomes a story that leads them into a lot of dark corners of human existence uh, on many levels and obviously to the big confrontation. Yeah, I'm reading um, right now, I was reading this review that some guy by the name of Lee Child uh, wrote. (laughs) That guy. Yeah, that guy. That guy. (laughs) He's retired now. So terrific. 
truly sinister, scary, and suspenseful, Lyle never lets you down. How does that make you feel? I threatened him to say that. (laughs) Well, you know what? With a guy who has a blog like yours, I would be afraid. Uh, I mean, that's pretty cool stuff. I mean, let's talk about how you feel when you get those kinds of reviews. And are they high points? Of course. Oh, absolutely. And especially from someone who leaves stature, you Obviously, he writes good stories, and uh, yeah, and he has some pretty dark stuff in his stories because Jack Reacher's not above doing whatever's necessary too. With the and, toothbrush, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he's a fixer, if you will. He comes in right. and fixes things. So right. that's kind of the way Kane and Harper was. So that's the reason I asked Lee if he'd read it and, and give me a blurb for it, and, and he said he really enjoyed it. So, so that's good. And then he did. He wrote a great blurb for it, and I, I appreciate it. Well, he wasn't alone. I mean, I'm looking at Jeff Parker, Peter James, David Morell. It's like a who's who of best-selling authors. So you've had such an extensive writing career. You've written books, you've worked on movies, you've written short stories. What has been the high point so far for you of your writing career? I'm not sure. That, I'm Have not we had sure it? There's a point. No, I'm not, I hope not. I'm not <laughs> sure there's a point, but I'm saying that there's probably a hump, you know, a rise and a fall because... Uh, I've been lucky so far. Everything I've ever written has been published, so there's that. Every short story, every novel. But, uh, I, you know, I, I just enjoy telling a story, and then there's nothing better than than getting it printed. But I think probably, if I had to pick one, it was, it was actually a nonfiction book. My first question and answer book was the first book I published and uh, called Murder and Mayhem. But to drive up to the bookstore for the first time to do a signing and see them in the window, it's kind of like, whoa, dude. It's real. It's real. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Obviously, when you get the box of them the first time, the first book and open the box, that's great. But to actually see a bookstore window filled with them, and then there they are, and you're signing them, and it's like, whoa. Yeah. It's kind of like validation, you know? Right. Right. So you feel that, or do you feel a responsibility to your readers to deliver on these stories? And I mean, I don't know, for me, it sounds like a real challenge to switch voices between like Jake, who is just, I went to college with guys like him, you know, at the University of Miami, they're everywhere. Oh yeah, exactly. And then to go to like Harper and Bobby. Yeah. I know that you do that to stay fresh, but how do you keep the characterizations fresh in well, your head? To me, they're they're so different that when I get into one of them's story, I get into that mood and in that thing. Like with Jake, Jake's an idiot. Everybody loves him. He's a tall, good-looking guy, ex-professional athlete, but he's laid back and he's easygoing. And Jake would just as soon have a beer and sit on the beach and watch the waves. He doesn't mm-hmm. care. He's that guy. Bobby Kane, on the other hand, is focused. He's focused like a laser beam. He knows what needs to be done. He knows how to get from point A to point B. He knows how to take care of business, and he doesn't waver from whatever the mission is. He doesn't get distracted by other things. Now, he can be personable, and he can be glib and funny and all that, but that's not who he is. Even when he's chatting with someone, he's always analyzing, what am I getting here? What can I use here? Well, how is this fitting into the goal that I'm trying to trying to reach here? Is this person someone I need to worry about? Is it someone who's involved? Or is it just a bystander? He's always doing that. Jake, 
stuff goes by him all the time. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, Nicole picks up on most of it. <laughs> but right, they're, they're a team there. At all. <laughs> he can care less. <laughs> well, you know, the way you described him about Bobby is that a general type that you might see in thrillers, but you chose to give he and Harper a more complex backstory yeah. and write them as brother and sister. Yes. So yes. how are they different? And talk about the dynamic between them. Yeah. Well, with Jake and Nicole, obviously there's sexual tension. I, right. uh, it's like Sam and Diane. You know, they're right. not ever going to get right. married. Right. It would kill everything. I don't think they ever want to do that. But they also want to be together. And there's a lot of sexual innuendos and there's a lot of sex. And there's a lot of that stuff because they have that relationship. But there's also a mutual respect. They both like each other. And both of them are very likable people and pretty smart people in their own way. Kane and Harper, I did not want any of that. I wanted them to be business. I wanted them to have skills that that no one else had. I wanted them to be unusual. So I had them raised from infancy by a itinerant gypsy-like family in the South. We used to call them Irish travelers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but And I remember as a kid, they came to come through town, Huntsville, Alabama, where I grew up. They'd come through in buckboards drawn by horses in the 50s. Wow. Well, later they went over to pick up trucks and motorhomes, but still they, they travel around and they put on shows. They also do day labor, you know, yard work, construction, whatever, anything to make enough money to keep the family moving. But they also will pick your pocket and second story thievery and that gypsy like lifestyle, not not being down on gypsies, but well, everybody has hobbies, Doug. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Everybody's got right. hobbies. So right. but then they both also had a military training. And so they were raised till they were twelve years old. They got separated when the family was arrested by the FBI. They went to an orphanage, they got adopted by parents, and they didn't see each other for fifteen years. They didn't know their names. They didn't know where they went. They, neither one of them knew where the other one was. They didn't know where any of the family was because they were kids and they were adopted and they moved on. And then they reunite in Afghanistan when uh, Harper is running a CIA black op. She's gone through Navy, Naval Intelligence into the CIA. Bobby went to Ranger School, became an assassin, so to speak, for all the services because he was a master with knives and could get in and out of anywhere, which was his training as a little gypsy boy. He became known as Bobby Blade. He could throw knives and all this stuff. And he was a second story kid. They would He could sneak in and out of houses and no one knew he was there and steal stuff. So his childhood training and his military training made him who he was. Harper's childhood training. She could look you in the face and pick your pocket. She could cry at a whim. She could scam you and con you into anything. Oh, and then she ran black ops. So they both have that gypsy childhood training of miscreant behavior, and then were trained by the military in some of the point of the spear stuff. And that's what makes them unusual characters, and that's why I like them. There's nothing they can't solve sooner or later. Which is so unusual, and the fact that they're brother and sister, I mean, you don't read, I have not seen that in anything out there, which makes skin in the game one of the most interesting books I've, I've read. Oh, oh, so, and the dynamic yeah, between them, that takes yeah. a lot of extra effort on your part to write that and to come up with that. Um, did that come from your, <laughs> your own family? Well, you know, my, I had two sisters and we were very close growing up. We had a very close family. And mm-hmm. uh, 
back at that time, the family ate dinner together every night. You know, mom cooked and we sat around a table and told stories. So, I mean, it was, that's the way it was. Like they obviously had a little different family than I did. But remember, uh, Harper's about a year older than Bobby. So she, Bobby was just months old when he was abandoned and picked up by the family. And Harper was bought from her half Cherokee mother, alcoholic, for a couple hundred bucks and a couple of bottles of whiskey. So they're a year apart, but they, from basically one year and a few months, each of them, they grew up together and they were raised by the same couple within the family. They were raised by the family, but they were under one couple. And so they grew up sleeping in the same bed, the same cribs, the same everything. They ended up sharing each other's clothes and all this stuff because they were poor and did what they did. So they were very, very, very close. And then they got yanked apart and went down different paths. But that bond that happened in the first 12 years of their lives never, never was shaken. And there, once they got back together, the, the, the love and respect they have for each other and the way that they would each kill for the other one without, without hesitation. Yeah, I like, I like that, that, that dynamic. And there's no sexual tension involved. And so I like that. Because right. very often the protagonist and right. somebody is having some sexual relations, right. you know. Right. I, I so, didn't want that in this story. So this is going to be serious, right? Heart, oh, yeah, the, yeah. The yeah. second one I said is done, and I'm, right. I've got the third one in mind. So so how when you were thinking about them and conceptualizing this story and series, what kind of arc, or did you have an arc in mind for them, for individuals uh, and together? It's interesting. That's obviously a huge topic when you're talking character in writing conferences, and I think it's overplayed. Mm-hmm. I think if you're writing a one-off or if you're writing a literary novel or you're writing something that's more mainstream, you want these character arcs because what you're doing is you're following this family, this person, through a crisis in their life and how it changes and affects them. Fine, I get all that. I get all that. But if you're writing a series, you can't have a character arc like that in every story because pretty soon after five books, they don't, they're not the same person. Nobody recognizes right. them anymore. So the Jack Reacher's Jack Reacher. He, Killing Floor was number one, and now what's it called, Blue Moon? He hadn't changed at all. Right. He may have learned a few things about himself. He may have learned a few things about other people, but he's basically the same person. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you want those characters to change. And so I didn't want – I wanted these guys to be through all their character arcs. Do you, do you, you know, see this as a – They are now. Yeah. You know? Do you see this as a long series? Oh, or? I think so. I hope both mm-hmm. of them are. Before my, my series, the Sam Cody and the Dub Walker, each lasted three books, and by then I was ready to move on to something else. But I'm hoping that by going back and forth, it keeps them all fresh. Yeah. Because I really enjoy living with both of them. Do you think characters like this can ever be happy? <laughs> <laughs> do you, uh, do you I think ever they can see? be satisfied. Let's okay. put it that way. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay. I think Jake's happy. Mm-hmm. Of all the people that I write about, Jake's probably the happiest. I think he was born probably. happy. but Oh, he yeah. was born happy. Everybody yeah. likes Jake, and Jake likes everybody. You know, and, right. yeah, he's just one of those guys. And you know, you know, he people warm up to him. He doesn't have to say a word. He's got to stand there with a goofy grin on his face, and people just like him. <laughs> and he's gotten through life that way, much to his dad's chagrin. But he thinks he should buckle up and do something worthwhile. But <laughs> He is like that, but he also is a good guy. He does puts up with his ex-wife and he's yeah. there for his father, even though, you know, yeah. the people around him give him fits. 
So you know, that brings for, pan for pancake, you'd die for pancakes. And and pancake. Well, I die for pancakes too. Oh, different <laughs> different thing. Different guy. Different yeah. Guy. <laughs> so so that brings me to one of my other questions: Is is there a common trait that all of your protagonists share? Or is there something about them that's so you that... Well, I think at the end of the day, they want truth, justice in the American way, as it were. They, <laughs> there's a sense of fair play. There's a sense of duty and uh, responsibility uh, that at the end of the day, their choice is going to be the right choice. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily for themselves, but for what's going on that justice is going to be the winner at the end of the day. And and they're going to do it in a fair manner. Even Bobby Kane will cut your throat in a heartbeat if uh, if he needs to get you out of the way. But mm -hmm. they're, they're people who needed killing. So Yeah, well, there you go. So there's uh, that. Yeah, and you need people like that. Yeah. So <laughs> would, you, would you say that Bobby is likable? Oh, I think so. I, I think he's Harper, kind both? of an easygoing guy. He keeps his cards close to his vest, but he's very relaxed. But he's smart and he's focused, and uh, he's always on a mission. I mean, obviously the stories are about his missions; they're not about what he's doing the rest of his life. You know, he and Harper are on a mission. That's what the stories are about. People don't read about them mm -hmm. going down and shooting the hoops at the park. But um, right. yeah, I, I think I think they're likable. And I think Harper's very likable because she's than the psyops and can manipulate you anyway. <laughs> Which is really funny because you find yourself, I know when I was reading, I found myself liking them and forgetting all the things that they had done in the past, yeah. even though they kept every now and then, you know, you remind us that, that they're not, exactly. you know, your next door neighbors. Oh. <laughs> but, so what is the trick to, and this is something you do so well, making these people who should not be likable, likable. Relatable, I guess. I, I'm not sure I know the answer, except it's just the way it feels right to me. But I do think that, remember, uh, people, for the most part, compartmentalize their lives and and the and they play certain roles. And I don't mean that in a in a negative or superficial sense. But the way you behave with your parents, and the way you behave with friends and the way you behave with colleagues, the language you use, the body language, how you say, how you act, what you think, what you do, it's all a little different. Mm -hmm. Now, underlying it is you, but you do things differently depending upon who you're interacting with. And so I think that if they're in a social situation and they're just meeting people and doing some at a picnic or whatever, they're one character. When they're in their full-on military garb and they're making a move on a barn in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee, they're a totally different animal. And so, and they behave differently. They move differently. They talk differently. And I think everybody does that to a certain extent. I think they're just, their range is a little broader. <laughs> right. Right. And their like, skill sets a little more I, in I, tune. I'm glad you like them. One of the fears was, is that they were going to become such I want to say killing machines because that's not right. That's not mm -hmm. what they are. They're going to be. They are so. They're such effective soldiers. I didn't want them to not be human at the same time. Right. But I am not your best gauge for that. <laughs> but, but you know, this brings us back to that discussion we had. I think in the beginning is, do you see them as sociopaths or killers? Psycho psychopaths or huh. killers? Interesting. 
Bobby would obviously be the one. No, I think Bobby is, is a killer. He does what he's trained to do. He mm-hmm. was trained because he could get in out of places and because he could kill quietly. He went with Delta Force. He went with SEALs. He went with Marines. He went with Rangers. He went wherever he had to go in the Middle East, and they would drop him in, in with a group of a small group, and he would have a target, a bomb maker or someone who had blown up several American soldiers, or someone who was a leader of a a unit that needed to be eliminated, and they would get him near, and he would take over from there. He would get in and out of the situation, dispatch the person, and get away And before anybody even knew that they were in town. And that was his gift. And so he still uses that, because the problems that they get into solving requires that type of discipline and stealth and physical abilities. Harper, hers is a little less, even though she'll shoot you right between the eyes if you say she's an excellent shot. (laughs) But Harper will scam you and con you and put you in a bad situation, and you'll never see it coming. You'll never realize what's going on and what she's figured out. But she's figured something out that's going to put you in a vulnerable position so that she and Bobby can take care of you. And that's wow. why they're fun to ride, yeah. man. Yeah, they are. So that's more survival than pathology. Oh, is yeah, that, yeah, Is yeah. that fair to it's say? It's a job. It's yeah. a job. It's mm-hmm. a military mission, and that's the way they look at things. We're right. given an assignment. We don't have to agree with the morality of it. We don't have to agree with the social consciousness or the politeness of it. What we have to do is solve this problem by whatever means are necessary. All right, so I'm going to give you a problem. Okay. Uh, so you you are our every writer's forensic reference guide. Aside from the sniper thing, which I wrote down, by the way, yeah. is the cleanest way to get rid of a or get away with a murder. How would you kill somebody from a medical point of view? Well, I mean, well, I mean, I read all. I read your blog. There's several ways, you know. Right. Right. I'm, do it in the hospital because it's the most dangerous place on earth. Well, that that's reassuring, Doug. Everybody, you just said a chill it, through everything. It, it, it's the most dangerous place. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of stuff in there that'll kill you. But it, <laughs> obviously, it depends upon the relationship. Mm-hmm. So it depends on the relationship between the the perpetrator and the victim and what they have access to. But if you have access to food and medications, you can monkey with their medications, and they can basically overdose on medicines that they're taking. And mm-hmm. it can just look like they made a mistake. I mean, that happens all the time. People do make mistakes and overdose. You know, I well, I figured three was better than one. No, <laughs> you know, but I hear that all too often. Poisons are, are great because you don't have to be present. Mm. It doesn't have to be at the time it's done. Alibi. You can set up something that's not done for a week later, and you're in another country. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's a be. Dave Barry told the great story once. I already talked it. He and Ridley Pearson, who writes great oh, thrillers, were, yeah. were, uh, were are good friends. And they were they were somewhere. I think Sun Valley. He said it really doesn't matter. But they were in line at a coffee shop, and Dave said he saw Ridley watching this girl behind the counter who was dumping coffee beans into the grinder, and then putting the bag underneath it, you know, and catching the ground coffee like they do. And they said. What are you doing? He said, you know what? If you put cyanide <laughs> on oh, the grinding blades and they ground the coffee, <laughs> the coffee grounds with the cyanide would be in the bottom of the bag. 
it might be three weeks before they got down there to that. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> it's a twist. Writers think. It's a twisted group. So are those the kind of things you talk about on your blog or on your, <laughs> on your radio show? Not that I'm afraid that we're attracting a group yeah. of serial killers. No, 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 no. Yeah. In my, my podcast, this is what I talk about. How do you got to kill people? How to do this? How to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess that might be a good place to stop. It, so, so we're going to maybe put a pin in it and hopefully you'll come back. You've talked about your books coming out one more time. The next book that's coming out is rigged. It's the rigged. fourth Jake Longley book. Right. It comes in May. Right. And then, and then I have, do you have a title? Briar Bad Axe, which is oh. the next Kane Harper book coming in October. That's very foreshadowing. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I'm working on the next Jake book for the following May, which is going to be called the OC. They're going to come to Orange County oh. out here and, and get involved in the situation. Well, I cannot wait for that. Yeah, yeah. And and the audiobooks, are they available or will, when will uh, they be Not available? yet, but they're coming. Oh, actually, okay. a couple of my, my first two Jake books are audio. audio uh, oh, okay. Uh, Deep Six and uh, A-List, but I didn't read them. Somebody else did. But now the one I read, uh, Sunshine State, will be available soon. Okay. And people can find your books where? But you can just go to my website and you can find it at dplylmd.com, dplylmd.com. And you can connect to my podcast and the old radio show that Jan Burke and I did, and my blog and all my books and, and everything. Right. And there. which one is on Authors on the Air? Uh, that's uh, the Criminal the Mischief. Criminal Mischief. Yeah, okay. that's the podcast series. Yeah. Okay. I think all I got right. 32 or 33 shows on there so far, but more okay. coming. So. That's enough bragging for you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Doug, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Information about Doug, his books, social media, and his page turning skin in the game will be found in my show notes. Also, if you'd like to know more about me, my work or events, they'll be in the show notes as well. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I'm Maddie Margarita, and this is Character Floss on Authors on the Air Network. And we are out.